This is an EWTN Newslink. I'm Teresa Tamio from Catholic Connection. During his Angelus address yesterday, the Holy Father focusing on the person of St. John the Baptist in calling the faithful to repentance. He said, Advent, it is a moment of grace to take off our masks and line up with those who are humble to be liberated from the presumption of the belief of being self-sufficient, to go to confess our sins and to welcome God's pardon, to ask forgiveness from those whom we have offended. Iran's attorney general suggesting the country's controversial morality police could be abolished. It was quoted by local media that the morality police has nothing to do with the judiciary. The attorney general does not oversee the morality police. And it was unclear if it's gone for good or would return in a different form. For more news with a Catholic perspective, visit EWTNnews.com. I'm Teresa Tomio, and the doctor is in with Dr. Ray Grundy. Starts now. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hello, Dr. Ray. Hi, Dr. Ray. How are you? I'm sure I'm going to get really good advice from you. Oh, I don't know about that. You know, I was looking for a deeper answer. You came to the wrong place. So what do I do? Well, I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what to do. This is wonderful advice. This is what I needed to hear. You're right on track with us. You're right on track. And everybody make a mistake. Does that comfort you? No. Am I close? No. You are the best thing that has ever happened to people. Did I make you feel a lot better or what? No, you made me feel worse. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. Very nice to have your company. I appreciate it so very, very much. This is E-Person Monday. Once again, being linguistically sensitive for years, I labored as a Neanderthal, linguistically anyway, talking about email. Oh, how terrible that is. Yes, I had to, I had to jettison that. And I'm very, very close to jettisoning, jettisoning person, because if you'll notice, it has sun in it. Sun is male, so there is a more tentative connection. So at some point, I know the pressure is going to get great, and I'll probably have to call this E people Monday. I'm resisting. I'm resisting. It just doesn't have the same ring as E person. What is it? Well, I. Take on your missives. I can't even say that. Missives. Missives. Your missives. Right, Dick? I mean, missive is, is, is kind of, kind of uh, gender-assuming. Your missives that come to me, and there's a lot of them. And I ask you to call the show a lot because I want to ask questions. I'd like to get a few more details. Uh, how many called the show out of the people who send an e-missiv? Uh, one out of five, maybe one out of five. The most common e-person is, Dr. Ray, can I ask you a question? The second most common is, can you suggest someone in my area that will respect my Catholic worldview? For the most part, I don't know anybody all around the country, but I knew, I do know how to get you to someone, and so that's about 20%. 20%. Uh, maybe 10, 15% is, can you suggest a book? I always suggest my own. I'm not going to suggest somebody else's. 
No, I do sometimes suggest others, depending upon the question. So I got this stack in front of me. I got my phone in front of me, and I am ready to take care of this. But before I do, I just want to share with you. See, when I was in uh, grad school, they talked about a good therapist uh, practices self-revelation. You say what you have to say. Not getting carried away, not too many details about your own life to make the client feel comfortable. We don't call them patients anymore. That's too medical. Call them client. Kind of got rid of the whole stigma of a patient. Make it feel comfortable. So I'm going to do a little self-revelation here in my own marriage. One of the dumber things I think I've done in my marriage. I've done a lot of dumb things, so it's really hard to get them all together. But this is up there. My son Sam was about 12 years old at the time. Now, presently, he is at Fort Hood in uh, Colleen, Texas. They call him Sergeant G because they can't pronounce his last name. But he was about 12. He went to his mother to ask permission for something. His mother, being the much more on-top-of-things parent than I was, told him no. And she told him his re- her reasons. Well, he said, why, thank you, Mother. That makes it very clear. I so appreciate your explaining it to me. <clears throat> Not what he said. He immediately came to me. Hey, Dad, can I? And then, ba 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 now, I knew enough in this marriage, because Sammy was, uh, he was at that time we had the 10 kids, they were all there. I said, what did mom say? He hemmed and hawed. She said no. And then, now, if I were smart, I would have said, well, if mom said no, then I back mom up. Right? As an in-touch, sensitive husband, that's what I would have said. Instead, I said, Well, Sammy, if it were up to me, I'd let you. (laughs) You know, I never realized how many springs stick up on our couch, and you can feel them after maybe eight or ten nights. All right, she didn't do that. She's not vengeful like that. However, she did come to me after Sammy went back to her. He couldn't just leave well enough alone. He couldn't just simply say, well, Dad, okay. But Mom said no. No, 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 no. He went back to his mother. Dad says I can. Dad says if it was up to him, he'd let me. Dad thinks you're totally wrong. He didn't say that. He knew better. But that's what he was thinking. The next person I saw was my wife, who said, Raymond, if you believe that was the best thing to tell Sammy, then I most certainly appreciate the fact that you were authentic and open with your opinion, and uh, I must retract my original uh, negative and and go with your affirmative. She said, you threw me under the bus. Now, I, being a in-touch husband, acted like I didn't know what she was talking about. Honey, what do you mean? What, 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 what a three under the bus? What? Now, when you're married a long time, you don't have to explain. You just say a word. She went, Sammy. And I knew. 
I knew it dawned on me because that was only 32 seconds ago that he left my sight. She essentially, and I think she was completely and totally right, she said, you set me up as the bad guy and you the good guy. Men or women, don't do this to your spouse. Even if you disagree with the decision, take it up later. Don't let the child know you don't agree. They're not going to look at this and say, well, I would imagine there are um, two perspectives. And uh, each perspective has to be weighed on its own merits and liabilities. No, they're going to go with the parent who gives them the permission they want. As a result, the other parent gets slammed. That's that's bad. That's really bad. It was dumb. And I did I do it again? Uh, I don't I I don't know because I don't remember anything after that. It was it was. Uh, and the doctor said that I would, I would regain consciousness in probably a couple hours. So men, and we men are most prone to do that because I think the ladies have a better sense of the limits to put on a child sometime. They're a little more cautious. And we're a little more loose, a little more permissive, I think, in, at least in terms of Limits and permission. I get a lot of moms tell me, I don't want him to have a smartphone, but their dad says it's okay. I don't want him to go there, but their dad says it's okay. Well, don't do it, men. If you disagree, take it aside. Find out why your wife said what she said, why she either said no or either said yes. You'll live longer. Okie dokie, when we come back, i got the stack of E-persons in front of me. I'll head into them, and we'll see what's going on. I'm Dr. Ray. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based health-sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. That's 844-398-9399. Abortion. Pornography. Embryonic stem cell research. Corporate contributions to Planned Parenthood. Do you invest in companies that are engaged in these practices? The Ave Maria Mutual Funds do not. And their investment portfolios reflect that. Ave Maria Mutual Funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors can invest in the no-load Ave Maria Mutual Funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria Mutual Funds today at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. The Wisdom of Mother Angelica. I went to Las Vegas years and years ago for one of these cable shows. And, and I was uh, shocked to see all these old ladies in their 70s and 80s getting off that plane, running for a slot machine. You don't have a chance to win. They're all fixed. I know, my uncle used to have slot machines. <laughs> EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. 
Did you know Franciscan University of Steubenville offers a Master's of Arts in Catholic Studies? Our unique program offers courses from many academic disciplines. Literature, biology, art, theology, psychology, all taught from a distinctly Catholic perspective. This 100% online program can be completed in just one year. Learn to see the world through a Catholic lens with a Master's in Catholic Studies from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find out more at franciscan.edu slash mcs. Thank you for joining me, Dr. Igarendi. Program Doctor is in co-production of the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Some, oh, I don't know, four hundred plus stations uh, domestically around the world. I guess it's pushing five hundred. Also on uh, Sirius Satellite Radio Channel One Thirty. Co-production with the Ave Maria Radio Communications Network there in Ann Arbor. My producer man is Andrew Kruchek. Uh, this is E-Person Monday, so I'm heading for the phone, leave some of them on the phone, and then I print some of them out. I've said many times in the past, as a tongue-in-cheek piece of advice to grandmothers on a daughter or daughter-in-law's wedding day, advice, sit up, shut up, and wear beige. Essentially... There's a lot of friction and clashing that goes on between mothers and daughters or mothers and daughter-in-laws. There'd be more that would go on between dads, except we don't pay a whole lot of attention. We're just kind of the wallet. Well, this, this might counter my advice. How much input do parents and mothers have in the planning of their daughter's wedding if they are paying for it. Follow the money. Input? Could say leverage. When I was planning my wedding 32 years ago, it was customary for the mother of the bride and the bride to plan most of it. It seems that now the grooms want to do it alone with the bride. I'm not sure how widespread that is, but apparently that's happening in your case. I think there's two levels to this. For example, how much are you paying? In other words, if they want a certain place or they want a certain meal, you know, that particular meal costs $56 a head and you're finding one for $42 a head, but she doesn't want that. She wants the $56 a head one. You have all the leverage. You have all the leverage. In terms of planning things that don't make a whole lot of difference, for example, if you say, well, I like this kind of arrangement on the table instead of that kind of arrangement, and they're both the same price. As far as I'm concerned, that that would be, okay, you... you you pick, daughter, the arrangement. That's fine. But in those areas where money is involved and you're paying for it, you have 100% the input. Now, if you would so choose to say, well, all right, I'll $56 meal, all right, we'll do that one. But here's the deeper question. Here's the second level. 
I think what you might be asking is, how do I keep the peace as this approaches? As we make these decisions, well, okay, not we, as she makes these decisions or she and her fiancé make these decisions and I'm kind of just writing out the checks. How much input do I have? Well, you have as much as you want, but I don't know if you'll run into friction. Now, if you're saying, I don't want this day to become a source of tension, I don't want all of the planning to be one piece of friction after another, uh, well, then you'll just have to yield. Now, I don't know if that's the best course of action. I think you might want to ask yourself, is my daughter being spoiled about this? Is my daughter saying, I want the best, I want the greatest? And dad, mom, you pay for it. Is that what's happening? Because I wouldn't like that as a father, as a parent. I wouldn't like that at all. If I smell an attitude of, you owe me. Oh, 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 oh. Now, if I'm afraid, if I'm thinking, well, but she'll be really mad at me and she won't like me. And maybe she won't even invite me to the wedding. Then I, I got to look at myself. I say, why am I doing this? Why am I so afraid? So, to summarize, you're paying for it. You have the controlling vote. You can yield where you think it's okay. But if it's a matter of she wants the 3x cost and you want the 1x cost, that's where you have the most leverage. The other stuff... Now, who cares in terms of whether that that particular layout of tables or that particular DJ, because they're all the same price, it doesn't matter. So that's what I would say regarding that. Um, right, let me see where we're at here. Go find another one. Subject question. Uh, I'm a single mom. Two kids. I have a brother and a sister. We are in our 30s and 40s. My mom lives with me as she has visited from out of the country. Since my other two siblings don't have a home until lately, and, and I'm the one who needed her help. My mom has always taken control of our lives when we were young. <laughs> and I have wanted to be far away from her. I'm feeling that way again. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. My house, my bedroom, my bathroom, my yard, my basement. She rearranges even when she has been told nicely not to. She is also overly critical. She even says what I can spend on or not for my kids even though she doesn't spend any of her own money when she's here. She dislikes my sister's husband. To add, me and my brother have to work around that she does not want him around. All right, so mom doesn't like the sister's husband, and she doesn't like the brother, or maybe it's she doesn't 
like the brother-in-law and uh, the letter writer and her brother have to figure this out, how to have a relationship with their sister, because if brother-in-law's around, mom's not. My sister has gotten tired of the fighting, of fighting this, and my sister just lets her be. I'm upset because she will not stay with other siblings, even when she can, to give me a little space and to let me reclaim my home, part of it at least temporarily. <laughs> I know I have to go to confession. Well, I, I don't know. I haven't read anything in your letter that would indicate that you do. I don't know what kind of uh, murderous feelings you're having towards your mother. But what do I do on a daily basis to reclaim a little bit of my identity as the leader of myself and my two children? I have a small home. No avoidance will work. Signed, simply frustrated. I answered this e-person very briefly when I first got it. It's interesting because we've talked about this on the program a lot. The 22-year-old who's completely uncooperative will not be pleasant, has all kinds of demands, and the parent says, I, I can't live with this 22-year-old anymore. I will ask the 22-year-old to leave. Well, this is interesting because it's not a 22-year-old. This is a 70-year-old. Now what? Does mother have any other place to be? Is this a situation where she comes from her own country to stay a period of time and then returns? Or is I'm here now and I'm going to live here now for good? If she's that distressing to live with if she's that controlling if she's that difficult if she's if she's driving wedges between siblings which it sounds like she's doing then i think at some point daughter might have to make some conditions i don't know exactly the logistics daughter may say i have to have her here i'm single mom i i need her i need her quote unquote help just her presence of watching my children. Uh, I need whatever finances she helps. But although you said an interesting thing, you said she doesn't spend a dime of her own money, so I'm not sure what that means. Does she not give you any support for the house whatsoever? At some point, you have to decide, one, is this good for my children? Is it a friction-filled environment? Two, can I learn to ignore her and just realize she's going to do what she's going to do and I'm not going to upset myself over it and I realize as long as she's here, my house is not going to be in any way the way I want it. You could do that. Three, am I going to say, well, you're going to have to find your own place to live um, and I can help you do that and given that you have minimal income, I don't know if she gets any kind of support, I don't know. Given that you have minimal income, we'll have to find some kind of subsidized housing. All of these are options, um, but what seems to be not possible is to change mom. 
to make her be more pleasant, more cooperative, or at the very least, less irksome. That doesn't seem to be an option. She, she's getting older, and she is who she is, and I suspect she's not real willing to change. And then there's one other piece of the puzzle. My guess would be she doesn't think she's at all wrong, that she has every right to do what she does, that she has every right to say, I don't like my son-in-law, so therefore, um, I don't want him around, so therefore you can't see him here if I'm here, and your sister can't come here with him if I'm here. Now, those are some pretty extreme demands. The one thing to say, I don't like the guy. It's quite another to say, don't have him come anywhere near this house when I'm there. That's a problem. So I think what has happened is that daughter has been painted into a corner. And you hate to do this. You say, well, wait a minute. Isn't the Christian thing to do to let her live here, honor thy thy father and thy mother? Well, yeah, but is there a limit? Is there a point where someone says, I'm going to do everything I want to do, no matter what you say, within your home, I'm going to cause family friction, I'm going to take over this living space and mobilize it as I see fit? Isn't there a parallel here a little bit between the 22-year-old who is being uncooperative? But the only difference here is age and maybe other living options With Teresa Tomio. I encourage you to look at a report that came out several years ago by Americans United for Life. It's called Unsafe. And this idea, it's something else that has been pushed out there by the media and by Planned Parenthood and other pro-abortion organizations, that there are all these safety measures that were put into place when Roe versus Wade became legal. But as Father Frank Pavone and so many others say, abortion never, ever, ever changed, really. It went from the back alley to Main Street with little or no restrictions or protections. Many of the independent abortion facilities are less regulated than your local nail salon or hair salon. The fact that they have to quote unquote work on their messaging shows that we are making a difference. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Is it impossible to live Jesus Christ's command that the marriage bond be indissoluble? No, says the Catholic Catechism. The Lord has not placed too heavy a burden on the shoulders of a married couple. By coming to restore the order of creation disturbed by sin, Christ himself gives the strength and grace to live marriage in the new dimension of the reign of God. By following Christ, renouncing themselves, and taking up their crosses, spouses will be able to receive the original meaning of marriage and live it with the help of Christ. St. Paul, in a letter to the Ephesians, emphasizes this when he admonishes men to love their wives as Christ loved the church. 
For this reason, Paul says, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Alrighty, comment here from uh, a writer, not a caller, because this is E-Person Monday on The Doctor is In. Doctor, I have a question for you, maybe a future manologue topic. I saw on the news a story about babies in the womb, whose facial expressions were shown on an ultrasound after they ate Carrots. Happy face. And then kale. <laughs> Scowling face. Now, I'm assuming that after, after their parents ate the carrots and the kale. I got this theory about kale. You could put like one sprig of kale in a 55-gallon drum of water, and you could taste it. Just my theory. The news anchors got a kick out of the story. Thought it was cute. There, so you have moms eating carrots. Supposedly, ultrasound showed a baby smile. Must have been a pretty detailed ultrasound. And then mom ate kale and scowled. The babies did, anyway. I think mom should scowl, too. Later in the same newscast, they talked about abortion rights by killing the baby up to the moment of birth. I bet they're not the only ones in our society who exhibit that same kind of disconnect. Can you offer any insight about this way of thinking? Yeah, I can. Very simple. It's not rational. It's motivated by I want. The fact that on one hand they could say, eh, isn't that cute? These babies can respond in the womb. Look at that, huh? They can react just like people. Wow. And then not more than a minute later, can say, we just really believe we should have a right to kill those babies. It makes absolutely no sense. You don't have to be a religious person to say that makes no sense. It makes no sense from a, a human rights point of view. None. Zero. The idea that more states are moving toward complete lack of restrictions for abortion all the way up to the day of birth makes no sense whatsoever. Whatsoever. And you just saw an example of, on one hand, I can admit that's a baby. On the other hand, so what? 
I remember some years ago when the ultrasounds were getting more sophisticated. People were saying, once we have the ultrasounds and once we can get them everywhere, abortion will dry up. And I said, sadly, no, it won't. The justification for it will change. It'll move from, oh, well, that just, that just isn't a big lump of tissue, is it? That sure, sure looks an awful lot like a very young developing human. Look at that. All the features are there. Whoa. It'll move from that to, so what? My body trumps that body. Therefore, I can do this, even though, even though the evidence is right there, that this is a very clearly developing human being. We don't live by reason much of the time. We live by self-interest. We live by self-interest and emotion. And that's what it is. And you're absolutely correct. They didn't see the disconnect at all. And someone might say, you know, these, these are bright people. These are bright people. Look how, look how skilled they are in their profession. Look how articulate they appear to be. Wow, they've got, they've got advanced college degrees. So what? That doesn't mean anything. Because you can be incredibly intelligent in one area and in the other area be a kindergartner. So that's Pamela, how I see it. My husband and I have two young daughters, two and a half years, two months. We have some imminent funerals in our family. We're discussing whether or not to take our children to the services. My husband says we shouldn't. He has memories of his own being frightened in childhood when attending the funeral of his grandfather. He's concerned that a funeral, and especially a viewing, could traumatize or frighten our older daughter. I disagree. I think it's important they both attend and that we have the opportunity to participate in this corporal work of mercy. I feel, though, this is a natural opportunity to introduce the concept of death, while also taking it as a moment to talk about the promise of eternal life and how the person will not be asleep forever. All that being said, Dr. Ray, considering their age, they may be more interested in waving at people and playing with their uncles to notice what is going on around them. The punchline, is there an appropriate or inappropriate age to take children to a viewing and a funeral? Well, that's easy to answer. There's no age written. Depends upon the kid. Depends upon the parents. Depends upon sensibility. Depends upon to what extent these young kids might view the body. In your case, Mom... A two-and-a-half-year-old, a, a two-month-old, forget it. It's it's kind of academic. Neither was, of course, the two-month-old, even though she may frown when you eat kale, uh, has absolutely no no recognition at all. You know that, of course. None. Zero, zip, nada. And you know your two-and-a-half-year-old won't either? Because memories, even those those that are snapshots, generally don't happen much before the age of three. You think back to the memories you have 
Uh, you may be able to recall something in just the, just the briefest bit of something. I remember I was three years old and my dad was trying to start a car in a junkyard. Now, I think that was my memory. It, who knows? I, I may, may be making that up in my head, but I think that was my memory. I was three. That's the earliest memory I can recall. So, in, in your situation, with that age, the question is academic. It doesn't matter. Now, let's just say the two daughters are five and six, or five and seven. Now what? I think it comes down to your confidence in explaining to them a little bit about what's going on. A little bit about what it means, how inquisitive they are, the variables. You're not going to lose time if you introduce it later. You're not going to say, oh gosh, we had a really opportune moment back a year and a half ago and we let it slip by. Now I don't know if we'll ever capture it again. No, you can always introduce it. Sixty seconds with Father Mitch Pacwa. Buddhism itself has a lot of different forms. There's no one type of Buddhism. When you get to Buddha himself, he was a complete agnostic and uh, supposed to have been a very wealthy prince who had everything but found that this was all hollow and empty, especially in the face of death. What he came up with as a basic principle is that the source of all suffering in life is having desires. So you need to free yourself of all desires, and then you won't suffer in this life anymore. This would be very different from Christianity, where we don't want to give up our desire for God. First, we do believe that there is one God. Second, we do believe that it's three persons in one God. And thirdly, that the goal of life is not emptiness, but is union with God. And through Jesus Christ, that's the way of salvation. The people you know and trust are on EWTN. Christ is the Answer with Father John Ricardo. John 6, verses uh, 48 to 58. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread, meaning me. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that a man may eat of it and never die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh, at which the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They're scandalized by this. How is it that we're not? How is it that we just hear this and go, Oh yeah, I know that passage. They're just outraged, and at least perplexed. Sane people, inspired teachers, wise men, Prophets don't say things like this. would go still gone thanks for joining me dr ray grandy here doctor is in monday version or probably should say monday variant e person monday variant e 
Uh, we had a call. I had a call a few weeks back from a mom who said that her daughter, I think the daughter was 14, had been diagnosed by the neurologist with functional neurologic disorder. And I said, my sense was that's a generic term. I wasn't totally familiar with it, but it, I, I've, I've since found out it's, it's the, a more modern label for what used to be called conversion reaction. The old days. Or psych I said it was probably some type of psychosomatic reaction. And I talked to mom and I said, I really would have to know more about the signs and symptoms of what your daughter is exhibiting to comment on this diagnosis. Obviously, I can't diagnose, but I can comment on what it might mean. This is from Matthew. Hi, doctor. Just driving home, listening to you on the radio in the United Kingdom. How about that, Dick? United Kingdom, huh? My producer's here with me. I heard about the caller asking about her daughter's functional neurologic disorder. Your hunch is right. It is jargon for a psychogenic conversion disorder manifesting as neurological symptoms, such as paralysis, seizures, etc., with no identifiable organic cause. That was one of the things the mom was saying, that the 14-year-old girl was starting to avoid school, and one of her reasons was sometimes she would wake up in the morning with her legs being very weak and wobbly, wobbly and feeling unable to walk. Now, this is classic Freudian stuff in terms of what Freud would have called conversion reaction disorder, which essentially means something about the emotional conflicts, the emotional struggles, something going on, according to Freud. I'm not a Freudian, and hopefully in a lot of ways he's fading. In Freudian psychoanalytic jargon, the conflict in the psyche is translating into physical symptoms. Neurology, neurologists, do a battery of bloods and imaging, such as nerve muscle condition, EEG, MRI, head and spine, to make sure there is not multiple sclerosis, tumor, spinal condition, etc. And with no evidence of any of these, put it down as psychiatric and discharge it to our team. Now, this gentleman is a psychiatrist. We see it a lot in bipolar disorder and personality disorders with lots of adverse childhood experiences or trauma. In other words, what he's saying is, if the kids are in kind of a turbulent environment and there's a lot of stuff that is impinged upon their well-being and their welfare, that it can translate into inexplicable physical symptoms. I've tried to take some pictures from European textbooks about the condition and linked you up to a UK page. My kind regards, Matthew, a fellow shrink. <laughs> and he, he listed a very a long journal article about this. Uh, way, way too much to go into right now, but there's an interesting thing that there's a picture here of someone with a, some kind of leg paralysis. All right, which, again, uh, inexplicable. Interestingly enough, I had a similar situation many, many years ago. I had a teacher. She was middle-aged. 
come to my office complaining about leg pain. The original doctor that she went to for this leg pain couldn't really find any cause. So he referred her to a specialist. The specialist couldn't find any cause either. So he referred her to me and with a diagnosis of, that, at that time, psychosomatic disorder. In other words, whatever, whatever the stressors were in her life were manifesting themselves in this leg pain. I asked her to describe the leg pain. It was, it was pretty targeted. It was in the thigh, and it felt deep in the thigh, no place else, and it was only in one thigh. I said to her, it's very unusual to get psychosomatic symptoms this specific, this targeted. I would suggest, and as I, as I explored with her uh, the quote-unquote stressors in her life that were allegedly manifesting themselves in this, uh, I wouldn't even say a vague leg, it was sharp leg pain, it wasn't vague leg pain, it was sharp. They were allegedly manifesting themselves. I said, I think you need to get another opinion. Tragically, I never saw her again in therapy. But I did see her again at the hospital where she was dying of bone cancer. It had invaded her long bone in her leg. And that's an interesting thing about psychosomatic reactions. They tend to be vague. When I was at the mental health center years ago, doing nothing but therapy and assessment, it was not uncommon that we would get adolescent girls resisting school. The two most common symptoms was gastro distress, digestive problems, and headaches. Those were the two most common things. And typically, they did a whole battery of tests and could find nothing wrong. And they were vague symptoms. They came and went, usually resolved themselves toward the end of the school day. Now, were these all cases of faking? Or what the, uh, the technical term for it is malingering? Was that the case? No, no, there was, there was sometimes these girls actually experienced these particular sensations. But they were related to resistance of school. But they were vague. They were not like my client Evelyn's very sharp pain in her upper thigh bone. Dr. Ray. What kind of a God do you have? Don't say my God. It's your God too. Don't give it to us. We have enough troubles with our own God. But there's only one God. Dr. Ray has more great advice soon. Don't go anywhere. The Encounter Conference, December 28th through the 30th at the DeVos Place Convention Center in Grand Rapids, Michigan. 13 powerful speakers. Do you want more? The truth is, brothers and sisters, there is no solution to the cultural and church crisis but Jesus Christ the Lord alive in a church that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Period. That's it. 
He's finding out right now who's with me. Who wants to live in the spirit of God? Who wants to follow me? That's what he's doing. It's going to be a work of God for the glory of the Father, the Father glorifying the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit through a people who are alive to Him and are proclaiming Him with everything they've got. Register today at EncounterConference.org. That's EncounterConference.org. Those who deny the full humanity of the preborn will be toying with the sentiments of pro-life people. They will say, you can't really believe in the humanity of the unborn unless you support this or that piece of legislation. The pro-life position is quite different. We might well believe that we need to improve social conditions, but first of all, we believe that the pre-born are a good to be protected. Even if born into poverty, even if born into unstable, violent homes, we want to eliminate those terrible conditions. But it is the height of arrogance to tell human beings like unborn children who cannot communicate or reason or stand up for themselves that they are better off dead. Because we know from our own experience that we would choose life and survival over death no matter how poor our social environment. Cresta in the Afternoon. Weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. I got some heavy ones in front of me here on this E-Person Monday. Got to pick out which one it is. I'm going to go with this one because it hits close to my personal life. Our son is 30 and was adopted at age four from Russia. His mother died of alcohol poisoning, so there was probably a pretty good chance that this little guy was bathed in alcohol in the womb. That does one whale of a lot of damage. He developed his alcohol problem in college. Uh, The research on alcoholism shows that it has about a 25% genetic component. I mean, it's not determinative, but it's more of a proclivity. Eight years of this alcohol problem, and a DUI, he decided to go into treatment. It was faith-based rehab. He's done well with that problem for the past 17 months. Good. He's held a steady job, and this December will finish his college degree to pursue a career in coaching baseball. Well, that's cool. He played minor league ball for two years. That's impressive, after his third year in college. However, his major problem is being financially responsible. I don't know how I could be financially responsible playing minor league ball because those guys get about, what, 50 bucks a day plus expenses? When you jump into the big boys, the big league, then you just skyrocket. But in the, in the minors, <laughs> he is aware that he has money spending problems and his addictions are related. But it seems something is inherently missing in him. Okay, this is, this is the crux of this E-person. This is what I wanted to get to. Uh, 
when we look for the link, the, the causal connection, that he doesn't grasp that responsibility about this. He does have a dog. He's been responsible for the dog. <laughs> uh, and a girlfriend. But he's just not grasping responsibility. The dog has been a godsend to him. We were afraid, oh, I'm sorry, we are afraid that he won't be able to sustain a life with some kind of, without some kind of financial struggle. struggle. And I'm wondering if there are places where people like this can live that would give them the structure they need, like a group home or something like that. Uh, yes and no. It doesn't sound like he's developmentally disabled. That's where most of the group homes are. And each state has their own requirements. But typically, you have to have the conditions met an intellectual delay as well as uh, social delays uh, early in life. And uh, typically for most states, the IQ has to be below 70. It doesn't sound like they went to college. Okay, he's finished college, so that's probably not likely. Uh, mental health diagnosis is possible, but it also doesn't sound like he has significant mental health diagnosis. It just sounds like he's sadly living kind of limitedly because of the alcohol perfusion into his little tiny brain when he was in the womb. Sadly, that's one of the major manifestations of alcohol in the womb, which is things like impulse control, judgment, social maturity, planning ahead, anticipating consequences are definitely affected. It's difficult to explain what his problem is. Well, there isn't a single problem. The problem is, in many respects, his brain, and again, I'm not going to diagnose that from here, but it may be, and you have evidence of this, he's 30 years old, and you said he's lived there responsibly, and he's been heavily attracted to alcohol. It may be that his brain has suffered some, some effects, ill effects, now, it's not something we can measure. You can't put him in an MRI. You can't put him in a PET scan and say, there it is. Okay, there's the, there's that segment of neurons that's causing all this problem. No, no, it's not like that at all. It's way too subtle for that. But the fact is, he's he's living poorly in some respects. And you say, we are preparing if things get worse. Well, I think it's best to prepare for what he might do in terms of maybe a backslide, relapse, breaking up with his girlfriend, getting fired from a job. You know, he's, he's living his life kind of fragmentedly, fracturously, if you will, if that's a word. And so as a result, you, you keep waiting for him to be quote-unquote cured. And, and maybe there will be some forward progress, but I think it'll probably be marked by two steps forward, one step back. Perhaps. I'm not God. I can't know this. But it seems more often the case than not when you've been bathed in alcohol in the womb. And I see this a lot with adoptive parents who have children who were drug or alcohol exposed in the womb. And in this case, he was adopted at age four. Was he in an institution? What was the level of stimulation? You know the good news is? I am truly impressed that this young man finished college. He obviously has the intellect to open up some options for him. 
So that is a great resource because an awful lot of these kids who have been neglected early in life or have been bathed in drugs and alcohol, they the intellect suffers. They simply do not have the ability to achieve advanced education. Developmentally, they lag. And as a result, on top of their immaturity or poor judgment, uh, they don't have the intellectual capacity to, to grow quickly. Thank you for joining me here on The Doctor Is In on the C-Person Monday. Thank you, Andrew Kruchek, for all the button pushing and complications you take care of over that way. Thank you all for joining me so very much. Walk with God all the time. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor Is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Young adults, deepen your faith and grow closer to Christ with hundreds of thousands of other young people who share your faith. Journey to World Youth Day Lisbon with the Archdiocese of San Antonio for an opportunity to experience the universality of the Catholic Church and to share with the whole world the hope of many young people committing their lives to Christ. To learn more, visit archsa.org forward slash WYD Lisbon 2023 or contact Jessica at 830-779-3131. Clark Cardas, colon and rectal surgeon and fellow in the American College of Surgeons, is proud to be a sponsor of the great Catholic programming on KJMA. He's a member of Catholic Charities Medical Advisory Board and Catholic Physicians Guild of San Antonio and provides care for colon cancer, diverticulitis, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, and those embarrassing lumps, bumps, aches, and pains. For more information on his offices in the Medical Center, Westover Hills, or Stone Oak, please call 210-614-0880. San Antonio Coalition for Life would like to thank everyone who came to the sidewalk to pray during our fall 40 Days for Life campaign. Eight babies were saved from abortion. Your prayers truly make a difference. We are a 365 location, so we encourage you to come out to pray with our interns anytime from 8 to 5, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. Help us be the voice for the pre-born infant life in San Antonio. Sign up at 40daysforlife.com slash San Antonio and pray for moms in need. Celebrating 2,000 years of truth, this is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Serving God's holy, Catholic, and apostolic church, this is KJMA 89.7 FM, Floresville, San Antonio, also online at grnonline.com, your destination for Catholic radio. One solid biblical doctrine is time tested. This rapture idea got its wheels rolling by John Darby in about 1830. I mean, have you heard of a third coming? You know you haven't. Secondly, God's nature. There's no reasonable premise in scripture, let alone in moral reasoning, for the results of a rapture scenario such as this. A Christian pilot is yanked, raptured, out of his jet, while scores of the remaining passengers who are not Christians violently crash to their death. Meanwhile, said pilot is basking in the presence of God. This is absurd, and believe me, this is 
Jesus preached day in and day out. Thirdly, bad fruit. The preacher at your church says, tonight, don't you be left in that pew alone while that person next to you gets raptured straight up into heaven. That, my friend, is folly with no foundation. 